Good morning, K-First. I'm excited to be with you again today. If you would, uh, immediately, would you just click on share and put it into your Facebook feed just to share the message and share the K-First experience with others? Or you can use the feature called Watch Party and actually invite people into almost like a small group approach on Facebook. It's a cool feature where you can click on that and immediately invite friends into it. You can have discussion and even conversation, talk about the main points in a chat room right there while you're watching the live stream. And in fact, tonight, uh, we're gonna be having a couple watch parties. Uh, Bob Van Hoover and Pastor Marty, they're gonna do watch parties tonight where they're gonna have the K-First morning experience, but in a watch party setting. If you have your Bibles, would you go over to Acts chapter 3? And I know we're talking about the tabernacle, but we're going to get there in a few minutes. And I want to read you just the opening scriptures here. Acts chapter 3, you can either use your Bible or you can go on your phones and use the YouVersion app. Um, you, the notes are all there. So look at this. Peter and John were going into the temple. The temple was for them the modern day tabernacle. And they were going at the hour prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is also called the Beautiful Gate. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him as did John and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. An average day, an average moment, they stopped their status quo church life in order to recognize a need, and they saw a man who had been lame in his feet from birth completely healed. Let's pray. Lord, we give you this time, we give you these few moments, asking that you would do something transformational in all of us, that we would be people that wouldn't just go status quo into our day, but we would be a people looking to see opportunities for miracles to take place. Do miracles within us, do miracles through us, Lord, for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I grew up as a kid, I loved to read. And I don't know if you're watching this with somebody, would you share with somebody around you what your favorite children's book was? Would you just share that right now? And I don't know what that book is or what book comes to mind. For me, my favorite book, my favorite kid's book was called, There's a Monster at the End of This Book. It's about the best Sesame Street character of all time, Grover. There is no other. That's the one Jesus likes. Grover is the best. And that book is the best book to buy little kids. I loved reading it to both of my kids. We've actually bought it for people who have had babies. It is my favorite kid's book. And I grew up reading. I, I loved to read as a kid. And I am unashamed to say that when I started advancing in reading, Little House in the Prairie was the best series to read. You can argue, you can fight me on it, but I'm just telling you, that's one of the best series of all time to read. Loved it. And I am not ashamed that I'm a huge Little House in the Prairie fan. But when I started thinking about kids' books, I actually came across a book a number of years ago uh, called There's No Such Thing as Dragons. And that's a really cool book to, to read to grandkids or read to little ones. It's a really cool book. And it's a story about a boy named Billy Bixby. 
And Billy wakes up one day and he finds a small dragon the size of a kitten in his room. And he tells his mom, there's a dragon in here. And she says, there's no such thing as dragons. And so he tries to go about his morning. He's trying to get dressed and the dragon's messing with his clothes. And he's going downstairs. Mom's making pancakes and the dragon starts eating the pancakes and the dragon starts growing. And it's like, mom, the dragon's eating my pancakes. And she says, there's no such thing as dragons. And so he finally gets one. He sneaks one pancake, but the dragon keeps eating them all. And then mom is running out of batter and gets full. And he goes into the hallway and takes a nap. And the dragon is even bigger. And so she goes throughout her day. Billy's going throughout her day. And she's vacuuming around the dragon. She picks up the tail just to vacuum to get it out of the way. She will touch it, but she won't recognize it. And Billy keeps asking, what is going on here? And mom says, there's no such thing as dragons. Well, this thing continues to grow and continues to grow as it's sleeping. And all of a sudden, the head is popped out the front door. The tail is going out the back door. And the dragon wakes up and it's hungry. And a bread truck drives by. So it goes after the bread truck, carrying the entire house with him. And mom still won't acknowledge the dragon. Dad comes home. The house is missing. And a neighbor tells him, a dragon took off with your with your house. And so he goes down the street, finds his house sitting there and a dragon's eating bread out of the bread truck. And he climbs up the tail, gets inside of the house and they start talking. And it's there, mom actually recognizes the dragon. And when she does, all of a sudden the dragon begins to shrink. Smaller and smaller, back to kitten size. And she says, why? Why did that thing shrink? And Billy says, I think he just wanted to be noticed. I thought that was honestly a very powerful story when I had read that. I think it was read it to my kids years ago, but I thought it was such a powerful thing because I think that's what can happen with so many needs around us. That needs can just compound because they're waiting for somebody to take notice. And so that's my metaphor for today is that dragon. In fact, the title of my message is called Dealing with the Dragon. There are needs that are happening around us and they are waiting to be noticed. And quite often we can get into our Christian bubbles, our churchy bubbles, and just get comfortable going to church, just get comfortable doing church. We get comfortable showing up to 5550 Oakland Drive where we all enjoy getting together with five, 600 other people and just celebrating together and worshiping together. We love the comfort of our Christianity. But meanwhile, there are needs that are around us waiting to be noticed. And because we don't notice them, they tend to get bigger and bigger and bigger, waiting for us just to acknowledge that there is a need and ready to interact and do something about it. Write this down. You can't address a need if you're unwilling to notice a need. You can't address a need until you are willing to notice a need. That's, that's the dragon in our community. And we can hole up inside of our homes, which is necessary. I understand the quarantine is necessary, but I think that we should actually challenge ourselves to think through how can we do church? How is the church supposed to respond? You heard me say it last week, and it's the main point of this message, and it's the main point of last week. The world does not need a church that only exists on Sunday. 
The world doesn't need a church that exists just on Sunday. We've got to be a people that are ready to be like Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, ready to be the people of God and to reach out and to notice the needs around us. I mean, that's what's happening in Acts 3. They're doing their church thing. They're on their way to worship at the temple. Again, the temple is the modern-day tabernacle for them. And as they're on their way, they could have gone and done some very good things. They could have gone to church and worshiped with their church community. They could have gone and prayed with their prayer community, which is what they were doing. They could have gone and heard a great sermon, but they stopped their comfort and they stopped their mode in order to realize that God was transitioning them. The chapter earlier, the Spirit of God came upon the church and transformed them because it was no longer, the Spirit of God was no longer contained inside the Holy of Holies, which was inside the tabernacle and the temple. And now we became the tabernacles and the temple. And Peter and John realized that they were not, no longer going to church. They were the church. And we see this unbelievable moment in Acts chapter 3 that actually transitions into the rest of the book of Acts. And I would submit the rest of the book of Acts would look dramatically different if Peter and John just looked, saw a need, and just passed by and did their normal churchy thing. This was a time of transition for the church, and that's exactly where we find ourselves today. We are in a season of transition. Think about this. In the tabernacle, we started off at the gates, and then we journeyed to the brazen altar, the altar of sacrifice. We talked about repentance, and from repentance, we went to the labor, and we talked about cleaning ourselves and transforming ourselves in the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, they went inside. The priest would go from the outside to the inside. He would transition from outer light to an inside light into a place that had no windows, no outside light was getting in. It was a place of transition, and that's really where we're at right now as a church. We are in a season of transition. Life right now, schools closing, businesses closing, restaurants closing. We are in a season of transition. And I wrote this down earlier this week. Seasons of transitions are three things. They are number one, a place to relocate what life is about. Secondly, it's a place to recalibrate where life is heading. And thirdly, it's a place to reset, to know how to move forward. Transition, that place to recalibrate to relocate, to reset, to get us to move forward, but not in the way that we had done before. It's the perfect time for evaluation. And that's really what we see in the tabernacle. To go from a place where everything was dealt, dealt with bronze, which symbolized our humanity, to getting in on the inside, to transitioning to a different way of approaching stuff, to stuff that was made out of gold, which is a great symbol of the presence of God, to go with dealing with humanity to dealing with divinity. This was the time of transition. And when you walked inside that tent in the tabernacle, you went into this place that you noticed one item, but you became aware of another. What do I mean by that? There's two out of three, out of the three items I want to talk about today. And number one, I want to talk about the lampstand. Now, when we talk about lampstands here in America in 2020, we're thinking about something that stands up in the corner and we plug it in. But the lampstand here in the book of Exodus, chapters 25, verses 23 through 40, the lampstand itself was a lampstand that looked somewhat like a candlestick. We would know it as a modern-day menorah. 
that usually has candles during Hanukkah season, but then there, were, there was no wax. It was all oil-driven. And those seven wicks in those seven branches of the candlestick would shine and light up the entire room. This is an extremely important thing for us to understand because when that thing was lit, the entire room fed and was viewed and everything operating inside that room was done in the light of that lampstand. Now, honestly, when I think about lighting a lampstand and what most of us today would consider candles, I look back at a wedding that I had done a few years ago, and we were kind of getting some things ready for the wedding, and I was talking with the bride, and the father of the bride was just getting irritated because he just needed something to do. He was sick of standing around, and his, his daughter, uh, she's talking to me about some details. He said, Dad, why don't you do this? Make sure you turn on all of the candles on the tabletops because they were getting married and, and doing the reception in the same spot. So without even thinking about it, he just moved to do to deal with the candles while her and I began to hammer through some, some more details of the wedding. And all of a sudden this weird smell kind of wafted by and we look over and we see that he is getting frustrated with all of these candles because none of them are lighting. And I remember him yelling out, there's something wrong with all of these candles. They're not lighting appropriately. And we look and his daughter drops her jaw because they were all battery powered candles. And all you have to do is flip them upside down, flip a switch, set them down and walk away. This dude literally had a lighter and was sticking it in there and all of these little candles, they were charred. And when they weren't working, he moved on to another candle, then moved on to another candle and we had honestly the best laugh. It was the best stress reliever for a bride. And at the same time, dad just felt absolutely foolish. It was just a, such a hilarious moment. In this room, candles would have been lit purposely lit once and the oil refreshed daily and that light would have filled everywhere. That is such a significant thing in Exodus chapter 25. Why? Because you didn't, you didn't see anything in the room and the light of an outside light. You didn't see, let's put it this way, you didn't see anything around you in light of how the world sees things. Let's take this deeper. You didn't see things in light of what social media says, a news outlet says, what a neighbor says, what a relative says, what some conspiracy theorist says. You only saw things in the light of how God wants you to see it because what you saw in there was holy and the light itself was holy. I mean, imagine, imagine if we step back and ask ourselves in this season that we find ourselves in, why are we so fearful? Why are we so panicked? I would submit it's because we see life, that we see things from another source, from another perspective other than Christ. I want to read you John chapter 8 verse 12 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of Christ. Our light of life, excuse me. Jesus became the light for us. 
so that we can see and get proper perspective in this world. So when we go into that most holy place, we go inside the tent. The reason why we can see the table of showbread, and we'll talk about the altar of instance next week, the reason why everything is illuminated and we can operate in that space, it's because of the holy light that came from the lampstand. Jesus is our lampstand. He is the place that we can actually perceive and see things in a proper light. And I wrote this down. The best way to find a meaningful, a meaningful framework for your journey is to pursue life through a Christ-centered perspective. The best way to get a meaningful framework for your journey is to pursue life through a Christ-centered perspective. That's, I think that's huge. That's something for us to grasp today when we talk about this lampstand is to understand that everything we do, we should do from the perspective of Christ. Let me give you a few facts on this lampstand. We said it's the only light. It was oil, not wax. It was 75 pounds of gold. And anytime we see the, 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 the word gold in the Old Testament, it's always there to symbolize the glory of God. But there's three important details that I want you to get. Is first, there were seven wicks. And seven in scripture is the number of completeness. It is the number of wholeness. In other words, it gave you a complete light. The light that comes from Christ is whole. It is complete. And it helps us to have complete, whole, healthy, godly perspective. Note this, that the lampstand actually had 66 details on the lampstand. 66 details. It reminds me of what? 66 books of the Old and the New Testament. And it reminds me of Psalm chapter one, uh, 119 verses 105, which says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How many of us have found so much direction by God from his scriptures? But I think the, one of the most important things to notice about the lampstand is this. It was shaped like an almond tree. And it was there to represent the almond tree. And why is that a big deal? Because in that area, it was the first to flower and it was a symbol of new life. Get that. The lampstand was a symbol of new life. Bringing the light of Jesus for many people is the sign of spring. It is the sign of new life. It is the sign that something new is going to happen, is going to come your way. That's exactly what Peter and John were to this man. They said, the scripture says he was lame since birth. And this guy every single day showed up to the same spot. People dropped him off so he can go beg for money and someone would pick him up later and take him back home. And yet Peter John showed up ready to be the light of Christ to somebody's darkened world and help them to see perspective or a framework of their life, not through the eyes of what family told them or physician told them, but through the eyes of what Jesus wants to do in and through them. And they became that springtime, that spring moment to help him recognize a new day has come. I think that's powerful. And I think that's a challenge to us as the church. And so we're going to do something a little bit differently today. I'm going to ask you to do something for the next two and a half minutes right there in your home. Maybe you're watching in your bedroom. Maybe you're watching with another family in your living rooms, uh, watching in your computer room. I don't know where you're at today, but I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to go into a time of prayer and maybe a little conversation right there 
in your homes. Grab a pad of paper, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to pray right there. If you're by yourself or with others, maybe somebody lead out in a simple prayer. And this is the question that I want you to ask of your group. Who can we check in on? Who can we check in on? My heart is that as you do a simple prayer, is that you would just simply say, Spirit of God, would you give us some direction on who we can check in on during this time and during this week? Who can we just maybe write a note to, give a call, send a message out to? Who could we send a text to? Who can we just simply check on to remind them that they have not, maybe they've not been forgotten by God? They have not been, they've not been forgotten by others. Would you just take that, those few, these few moments, just somebody in the room pray, and would you just simply say, Spirit of God, speak to us, and get that pad of paper out, and would you maybe around the room just share and write down a few names so that after the message is done, you can actually get reconnected with somebody and just shed the light, that springtime light of Christ into their life to remind them they are not forgotten. Jesus declares to be light and bread. Going into that room, which was called the most holy place, you're immediately hit with the light and your eyes are drawn to the bread. The, the light simply declaring perspective and vision. The bread declaring provision, fellowship, agreement, safety, and victory. And the way to notice is to simply look up. Acts chapter 3. That was literally the command of Peter and John to this man that's hurting. 
All this man knew was his pain. All this man knew was begging. All he knew was the life that he feels was just simply handed to him. He was the casualty of things that he could not help. And does that not sound like what we're facing today? We are all dealing with something that we can do nothing about other than quarantine ourselves and begin to reduce contact. But I believe in the one that speaks a better word over us. And the command that Peter gave to this man was to simply, I love this, look at us, verse 5. Look at us. Write this down. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. If you can't change your circumstances, change your perspective. That's what the most holy place was about. You went from natural light to holy light. You went from operating in the bronze and operating with yourself to dealing with God. And all of a sudden you begin to navigate life from a perspective shown to you by God. And that's my prayer is that we will look at the needs around us and begin to notice them. And we begin to lift up our eyes to see from a fresh perspective that just because we are quarantined doesn't mean the spirit of God is quarantined. That just because we can't do churches normal doesn't mean we should keep doing church as normal. That we need to be a people that are ready to rise up. I'm telling you what, I don't want to see dragons grow. I don't want to see things get out of hand. I want to see this as an opportunity to say, God, how would you use us now? How would you use us today? How can you change our perspective? Jesus, give us your light. Give us your vision. Give us your perspective so that we can maybe somehow creatively meet people where they are at to give them provision, fellowship, to give them agreement, safety, and to help usher victory into their life. I want to pray over you. In fact, I want to give you a prayer that I'm going to ask you to pray with your family, to pray in your marriage, to continue to pray this week. And it's just simply this. Dear Jesus, I love you. I don't love this situation, but I love you. Therefore, I have the perspective I need to keep putting one foot in front of the other to walking through until I get on the other side of this. Can I pray that over you today? And would you pray that over yourselves? Would you just bow your heads and just get in a posture of prayer of holding your hands out in front of you? Can we just do that before we go into a time of worship? I just want to pray this over you. Dear Jesus, I love you. I don't love this situation, but I love you. So therefore, I have the perspective I need to keep putting one foot in front of the other to, to walking through until I get to the other side of this. Help us, guide us, and Lord, let us be people that don't approach this. Church is normal, life is normal, but to embrace a season of transition by walking in the light of Christ to give people the bread of life. We want to give people you, so guide us, Lead us, change us, help us, empower us, Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all, K-First. We'll see you on live stream throughout the week, and we'll see you again next week, 10 o'clock. Join us again.